Today I've been kind of trying to help prepare our hearts and our minds for the revival meeting next week as Brother Willette comes. We're looking forward to him and to the messages and God working in our hearts and trying to encourage us to get our hearts ready so the Lord can work in our lives. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, a longing for revival. A longing for revival. In Isaiah 64, verse 1, he says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. That's what we want, isn't it? That God would come down. The word revive literally means to come back, to come back to life or come back to consciousness, to come back to health or vigor, to be useful, to flourish once again. It implies that we as God's people have oftentimes reached a spiritual state in which we are kind of asleep. We slumber. In some ways, we become sick spiritually and allow apathy to take place in our lives. Revivals are something that really needs to be rehearsed over and over and over again in our lives and in our church because we are creatures that are prone to sin. One of the songs we sing says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We're prone to wonder, aren't we? You get away from the Lord and, and we need God's help to bring us back. But before we can experience revival, we have to realize that there is a problem. A problem that is common to all of us. It's spelled S-I-N. Amen. We all have to deal with that. W. Graham Scoggy said this, he said, There never has been a spiritual revival that did not begin with an acute sense of sin. An acute sense of sin. Lamentations 3 verse 40 says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Search and try our ways. Look at our life. See what we're doing. Look at how we're living and turn again to the Lord. If we are not growing and prospering as an individual and as a church, then it's usually because there's a sin problem in our lives. And that's why it's so important for each of us, each member of our church, each one of us as individuals, to give ourselves totally to the purpose of God and to what He has for our lives. We have oftentimes a misconception of what sin really is. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Well, that's interesting. We think of sin, we think of adultery, we think of murder, we think of lying. God says if we're doing something that's not, we're not doing it by faith, that's sin. Well, that covers a lot of things, doesn't it, in our lives. Are we doing what we do by faith? Faith that it's God's will. Faith that God will direct us and help us and use us. And if we want to see revival, it has to begin with us. It has to start with us. You know the verse in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people, God starts out talking about his people, it's my people. The problem with America, there's a lot of problems in America, but the greatest problem starts with God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It starts out with God's people. And that's where we must start with each one of us totally getting back to being committed to God like we ought to be. And that will produce an intense longing for God that we need to see in our midst, a longing for Him. 
We oftentimes have a, a slanted idea of what real revival is. Sometimes we think that it's, it's excitement, that it's uh, large numbers, and all of that may be a part of that, but it's only a part of the story. Before the glory and the joy, it starts out with conviction. And that begins with the people of God. God convicts us. You know, I was thinking about this today. When it comes to revival, and even when it comes to salvation, really the whole thing is of God, isn't it? And, and, and I was just thinking about it and thought, you know, that's sad. And then I thought, no, it's good <laughs> that it's all of God. But what's sad is sometimes we think we can do it. God's the one that convicts us. He's the one that draws us. He's the one that reminds us that we're failing and not doing what we ought to do. And so God convicts and he draws and he works in our heart and life. I don't know about you, but I want God to speak to my heart. I want him to work in my life and draw him, draw me unto him. It starts with a conviction. It starts with tears and godly sorrow. We understand that the wrongs in our life have to be made right and the secret things have to be thrown out and the bad relationships that maybe have been hidden for years have to be repaired openly. And if we're not prepared for these sorts of things, then we better not pray for revival. Vance Havner said this, he said, Revival is falling in love with Jesus over, all over again. Falling in love with Jesus all over again. And that's what every one of us here need tonight, amen? just to fall in love with the Lord all over and in again. We need that longing. We need that desire. We need that hunger, that craving. Are we really hungry? The Lord said, I'll pour water on them that are thirsty. Are we really thirsty and hungering for Him? Well, as we think about this longing for revival, first of all, I want you to notice that when we long for revival, there will be a real need felt. We'll feel that there's a real need. We have a need for revival. Isaiah 64, verse 1, again, it says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. When we are less close to God today than we were yesterday, then we need revival. Stop and think about your life tonight. Think about how old you are right now. Don't say it out loud. Go back a year. Take a year off of that. Are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? Are you more spiritual today? Are you doing more for the Lord? Do you have a greater heart and desire? And I'm not saying that revival is all doing, though that's a product of it. But what's our heart? God sees our heart. He knows what we feel, what we think, what we desire, what consumes our mind. And when we are less close to God today than we were yesterday or last year, we need revival. First of all, there's a need for revival of God's people. God's people need revival. He said in, that if we're going to experience revival, we have to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. And in Matthew 6, he said, Seek ye First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we get to the point in our lives when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, when we put the Lord first in our life, one of the things that plague our church and churches across America today, I believe, is a lack of proper priorities. We don't have the Lord first in our life. A preacher one time was asked, 
How many, of your, how many active members do you have in your church? And he said, well, they're all active. He said, some are active for the Lord and some are active for the devil. That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? We're all active. We're commanded in Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen in Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. We get our priorities right. We're putting the Lord first, setting our affections on Him. Our church will not continue to grow and reach its full potential for the Lord until we as God's people become faithful to the Lord. If we're going to do that, there's a choice to be made. We have to make a choice. Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day. I want to say to the young people that are sitting here tonight, as you grow older, you're going to have to make some choices in your life. And someday you're going to have to decide, am I just going to church because dad and mom make me go? Or am I, am I going because I love the Lord? I want to please him. I want to live for him. I want to serve him. You know, it's sad. I was, I was listening to a preacher earlier this week, and he was talking about some of the, of the uh, big mega churches that we have today. And one particular preacher was saying that, that of their teenagers, he said, we're saving about 10% of our teenagers that will go on for God and they're not going into the world and living for the world. And I thought, wow, 10%, that's terrible. And I believe that in churches where the Word of God is preached and taught, there's a whole lot higher than 10%, but it ought to be 100%. Amen. It ought to be every young person grows up in this church and says, hey, this is real. This is not, we're not just playing games. We want to serve God and live for God. And that will happen when those young people's parents get revived and live for God and serve God. Amen. When we set the example for them, choose you this day whom you will serve. Then there's also not only a choice to be made, there's a commitment to be made. 1 Kings 18, 21 says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? How long halt ye? You're trying to decide whose side we're on, who are we living for, who's going to be first in our life, the Lord or me? It's time we get on the winning side and time we make sure that we're serving the Lord. And then there's also a need for revival of God's presence. There's a need for revival of God's people. There's a need for revival of God's presence. It says here, oh, in Isaiah 64, 1, oh, that thou wouldest rend heaven and that thou wouldest come down. Lord, we want your presence. We want you to come down. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The key phrase in that verse is, in my name. We're gathered together in his name, amen? Aren't you glad he's here tonight? He's here. He's with us. Be quite honest with you, I don't want to be here if he's not here. Amen? But he's promised us, as we gather together in his name, he is here with us. We cannot gather together with ill will in our hearts towards one another 
with unresolved hurts, with evil thoughts one toward another, and expect the Lord Jesus Christ to be in our midst even though we have gathered together. A man went to an asylum one day of criminally insane people, and he was a bit surprised to find that were only three guards there to take care of over a hundred inmates. And he said to one of the guards, he said, aren't you afraid that the inmates will unite and overcome you and escape? And the guard said, lunatics never unite. I thought that was interesting. Lunatics never unite. We'll have to ask John about that out there at the jail. (laughs) But you know what? Christians should unite, shouldn't they? We should unite. We should work together. We should love each other. And if we don't, we don't have God's presence and God's power in our lives. For us to feel the presence of the Lord among us in a mighty way, we have to have such a unity, a harmony among us, that we understand that it's not us and them, it's just us. Amen? As a church, it's us, we, God's people, reunited together. We live by the words of Philippians 1.27, which says, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then there's a need for revival of God's power. We need a revival of God's power. He said in verse number 1, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. You know the verse in Acts 1.8, and ye shall receive what? Power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Matthew 28, 18 says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We have the power to accomplish the great things that God wants us to do. And he says that power is available to us. But so many times we don't have that power because we suffer from a lack of allowing God to be first in our life, being the preeminent one, having that first place, Because when the Lord is not preeminent in our lives, we lack His power. When we have anything in our life that takes attention away from God's plan for us and God's will for us, then we need revival. The first commandment in Exodus 20 verse 3 is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And as I said this morning, anything that becomes between me and God becomes an idol. It becomes my God. I remember years ago when I was in high school, there was a young man lived across the street from us. His name was Johnny Orsini. He had one of those olds, olds, I forget what it was. It was an olds 44. It had one of those big uh, 442 engines in it, I think. And, and it was a new car that he got. And I mean, a lot of times we would leave to go to church Sunday morning and Johnny would be out there washing and waxing his car. And we would oftentimes say, Johnny's having his worship service this morning. That car had become his God. It had become the idol. It was what was taking place. We're going off to church. He's having his service. Hey, what's taking the place of God in your life? Is there anything between me and God? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We have no power because we put things ahead of God. He is to be our everything. Oh, how desperately we need Him, and we need to keep Him first place in our life. 
1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. A new manifestation of his power and glory would put to shame the sins of God's people and the false confidence that we have in ungodliness. We need a vision of who God is, a vision much like Isaiah had. If you still have your place in Isaiah 64, go back a couple chapters to 61. Look at Isaiah 61. I mentioned this passage this morning. He says in Isaiah 61 and verse 1, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes, and they shall raise up the former desolation, and they shall repair the waste cities and desolation of many generations. I mentioned this morning when Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. When King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. And here you see a little bit more of what Isaiah saw. And Isaiah understood that there needed to be God working, and as God is working in us, People are going to be saved and lives are going to be changed. Things will be different. We got a, Vicki got a phone call this afternoon and her nephew's daughter got saved this morning at church in their church. And I thought, man, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad people are still getting saved? And as we think about revival, we want God to revive us, but if God revives us, The result will be we'll have a greater burden for lost people. We'll invite them and lost people will come and get saved. And their lives will be changed. We ought to have a list of people that we're praying for. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have one, make one this week. People you're praying for to get saved in the revival. People that you're praying for to get right with God. People that will come and hear God's word. If we don't pray, it won't happen. Amen? We need to have a longing for revival, a real felt need. We need revival. And then secondly, when we long for revival, there'll be a required work to be done. A required work to be done. Look back at Isaiah 50 or 64 again. Oh, that thou, verse 1, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries. God wants us to make his name known to our adversaries. That the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst tremble things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. What is the required work? We long for revival. There's going to be a required work to be done. What is that work? Well, first of all, it's a melting work. It's a melting work. He says that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. The first part of verse 2 says, as when the melting fire burneth. Fire melts. Fire causes things to flow. 
John Wesley said, Let the fire come with such zeal for thy people that the solid mountains may be no more before thy breath than metal that runs or water that boils by the force of a vehement fire. The prophet here speaks of the mountains flowing down at thy presence. We need a melting work of God. We face a lot of mountains in our life. And I'll be honest with you, as we enter into a revival meeting, you'll face some mountains just in the revival meeting. The devil will do everything he can to keep us from getting here and from being here. He'll mess up our work schedules. He'll mess up the kids getting sick. He'll, cause, he'll do anything he can to distract us. There's some mountains. I thought about the mountain of inability. The mountain of inability. What does Philippians 4.13 say? I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. You say, I can't invite them to come. I can't ask. I can do all things through Christ. We can. There's the mountain of indecision. 1 Kings 18.21 says, How long halt thou between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't be indecisive. Trust in him with all your heart. When you pray, when you ask God, trust him. Lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. A mountain of indecision. And then there's mountains of indifference. I believe the reason why revival doesn't come oftentimes is because we just don't really care. We're indifferent. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We've got to decide, are we going to follow the Lord? Are we going to do what He wants us to do? And then not only do we need a melting work, we need a burning work, a burning up work. Isaiah 64, 2 says, As when the melting fire burneth, anything in our life, that hinders our growth in grace and limits our usefulness to God, needs to be burned up. We must remember what Hebrews chapter 12 and 20, verse 29 says. It says, our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. First of all, God's fire can burn up our vain thoughts. 1 Corinthians 3.20 says, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. If we're honest with ourselves, then we'll have to admit that many times our thoughts are wise in our own eyes, but in God's eyes they're vain. The Lord says our thoughts are vain. Many times the Lord has to show us how unwise and how truly vain our thoughts are. Many times we think and we act foolishly. We don't like to admit that, but we do it. Someone said, foolishness is not the lack of brains. It is the silly use of them. It's not the lack of brains. It's the silly use of them. And it's when we think foolishly and act foolishly that God needs to burn up our vain thoughts. And then God's... Fire can burn up our self-confidence. Oh, how we need our self-confidence to be burned up. Galatians 6.3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. It's good to have self-confidence about some things, but many times our self-confidence leads to pride, and that is sin. Self-confidence is acceptable only if it's rooted in God-confidence. 
if we're trusting in him. And the interesting thing, the line between self-confidence and conceit is very narrow. It's very narrow. And that's why we have to realize how dependent we are upon the Lord in everything that we do. We are not dependent of ourselves. Paul said our sufficiency is not of ourselves. We need him. Because when we become too self-confident, it leads to that thing that I said, conceit. When that happens, God can and God will burn up our self-importance and teach us to lean more fully on him. And then God's fire can also burn up our fleshly energy, our flesh energy. He told his disciples, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. In this body of flesh, sometimes we become tired. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we we become defeated. Many times we try to serve God in our own power and the flesh and we become weary and we believe that we can't go on. I can't continue doing this and we give up. The Lord said, let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. The flesh can only take us so far. And if we're doing our work for the Lord in the energy of the flesh, we're going to burn out and give up and quit. But the Spirit of God working within us can allow us to achieve the impossible. He can allow us to go on when we don't want to go on. He allows us to keep doing what He's asked us to do and calls us to do. And God will empower us. Sometimes He has to burn up our self-confidence and help us to realize that We're relying on his ability. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. For this reason, we must continually rely upon the Holy Spirit of God to give us victory over the evil one, to give us victory over the devil, to give us victory over the enemy in our life. We must have God's help and God's strength. Vain thoughts, self-confidence, flesh energy, all of these are powerless substitutes for the power of God. I want you to look over with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to notice what the Bible says there in verse number 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. Listen to what he says there. He says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You see, the things that we're going through, as we serve God and the trials and the struggles and the burdens and the heavy loads, 
God says all of that is precious. The trial of our faith is precious. And we don't throw in the town. We don't give up and we don't burn out because we're using the flesh. We rely on the Lord and God says it becomes, instead of something that destroys us, it becomes precious. And one day we'll be rewarded for our faithfulness in doing what God has called us to do. Our trials, our sorrows, our cares are merely God's way of burning out the impurities in our life so that we can shine forth like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And remember that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Just as the gold has to go through the fire, we all as believers have to face the purifying fire of God in our lives, the fire that God uses to work in us, to purify us, to develop us, to be all that He wants us to be. And Then we also need not only a fire, but we need a warming work of God. We need a warming work. Fire melts. Fire burns up. But fire also warms, doesn't it? We as God's people, all of us, from time to time, we get cold and indifferent, don't we? When you find yourself getting cold and indifferent, get back close to the fire. Get back close to the cross. We need the warming presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. When our hearts are made to boil because of the Holy Spirit's power, then our affections get hot for the Lord. David said in Psalm 39, 3, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. You see, lukewarmness cannot exist where the fire burns. And what did the Lord say about lukewarm Christians? He said, I will spew thee out of, the, out of my mouth. They make me sick. They make me want to throw up, want to vomit. How do we keep from being that lukewarm? We get close to the fire. And when the fire is there, our prayers will be hot. And when the fire is there, our testimony will be hot. And we'll be praying and we'll be witnessing and we'll be telling others about the Lord. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah said, I wasn't going to, I'm not going to speak in his name. I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to tell anybody else. But he said, I couldn't not do it. There's something inside of me burning and it had to come out. You know what I find? When a person really gets saved, you can't be happy back in the world anymore. You see, the, the most miserable person in the world is the Christian who's tried to go back to the world. Because you're not comfortable in the world, and the world doesn't accept you anymore. And then when you come and are around God's people, you're not comfortable there because you feel convicted, because you're not doing and you're miserable. And so we have to get back close to the fire. When our hearts are made to burn within us, we're ready and we're willing to do the will of God. We're ready to serve Him. We should be like those two men on the road to Emmaus when they spoke with the Lord. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture? They said, there's something inside of us while he talked to us. 
You ever read and study God's word and it just seems like something inside of you just starts to burn and warm and draw you and convict you? Matthew Henry said this encounter with the Lord, these men on the road to Emmaus, he said they brought a divine heat with a divine light into their souls, such as put their hearts into a glow and kindled a holy fire of pious and devout affections in them. When we have a longing for revival, there'll be a real need felt. There'll be a required work done. And then thirdly, when we have a longing for revival, there will be a result sought. There'll be a result sought. He says in chapter 64 and verse 2, the end of that verse, he says, to make thy name known to thine adversaries that the nations will tremble at thy presence. Why do we need revival? Because we want to make God's name known to his enemies, that the nations may tremble at his presence. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had such a presence of God in our lives and in our church that our nation would tremble? We need that kind of power in America, don't we? We need God's people. We need Christians. We need churches all across this nation to get fired up and revived so that the leaders of our country who are bent on destroying our nation and taking us into more wickedness will tremble because of the power of God. First of all, there's a responsibility that is seen. When we are truly revived, we make his name known among the people. Matthew 28, verses 8, 19, and 20, you remember them as the Lord gave what we call the Great Commission. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. We take the gospel into all nations. Psalm 126, 5 and 6, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth with weeping, bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. But until we have an earnest desire for others to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, revival has not yet come to us. We must never forget that there are multitudes around us that are without the Savior, and we need to reach them. We must never fail to share the gospel with a lost world. We've had several times when we've had emphasis on giving out gospel tracts, and, and it's amazing how just a little simple thing, anybody can give out a tract. And get the gospel in somebody's hand and pray that God will use it. And God will use every one of us if we're willing to do our part. If we're willing. And when real revival comes, the responsibility will be seen. We'll understand. We have a responsibility. There's so many times when I see somebody driving down the road, or sometimes even if I'm watching a television program and I see somebody, and the thought just comes to my mind, I wonder if they know the Lord. Do they know my Savior? I've been reading this book about seeking Allah and finding Jesus. And one of the things this man said when he was still in, in following the Muslim religion, he said, though he was a, in a, a huge minority, he said, I had such a love for Allah and for Muhammad that I just wanted to tell people about my God. And I thought, shouldn't we as Christians have that kind of a love? Shouldn't we love the Lord so much we want to tell others about him and warn them of the judgment that will come without him? A responsibility seen. Then there's a reverence shown. A reverence is shown. He says that the nations may tremble at thy presence. 
If we're going to see revival, we need to recapture the reverence and the awesome respect that is due to the holy name of our God. Do you know why the world thinks so little of our God? Because they've watched our lives. And they see the way we live sometimes and they think, if that's Christianity, why bother? Amen? That respect, that awesome respect. The world, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said, the world is not lacking in wonders, but in a sense of wonder. The world's lacking in a sense of wonder. We must reverence God so much that we see service not as labor, but we see it as love. We see prayer not as a duty, but we see it as a delight. We see our brothers and sisters in Christ not as our enemies, but as encouragers. We see our church not merely as a place for us to come, to be in that place, but a purpose to live for. That's what reverencing God is all about. So in closing, I ask you this question tonight. Are we ready for revival? Then we must be willing for God to have his perfect will. Am I willing for God to have his perfect will in my life? We must be willing to submit our hearts and our lives to the will of God. When we have a longing for revival, when we really want to see it, when we are craving for that revival... There will be a real need felt. We'll understand there is a need. There'll be a required work to be done. We'll get busy working and serving the Lord. And there'll be a result that will be sought. And that is that the, those around us will reverence the awesome name of our God and will want to worship Him. Do you, do I, do we really want revival? If so, then let us pray like the psalmist did when he said, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Lord, revive us again. We sing the song, Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May soul be rekindled with fire from above. We need that revival. Do we really want it? Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to get our priorities in order? Are we willing to put the Lord literally, in first place in our life. Let's bow our heads together. Father, help us tonight. Help me. Lord, I pray that you would send revival. Let it begin in me, in my heart. May each one of us be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Do a work in my life. Lord, let me be the one that will make the difference. You said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. May we allow, allow you tonight to search our heart. And when you shine your searchlight of your word and your Holy Spirit convicts us of those things in our life, May we be willing to say, Lord, I want you first, not what I want, but what you want. Here's my life. I surrender. I yield. I give up. I want you. I want your presence. I want your power. I want your might. 
I want you to use me to reach the lost. Lord, there are many around us that need the Savior. Would you revive us so that we'll rejoice in you and so that we'll live in such a way that those around us will want to know what's happened to us. They'll want what we have. Lord, we've got the greatest thing in the world. We have Jesus. We have you. We have heaven. Eternal life. May we quit living like this life here on earth is all that matters. Help us to live for eternity. 